This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast, and also YouTube channel, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. And you can also, if you go to YouTube, just put in the three words, Spirit Matters Talk, and we'll show up. So you get not only to hear us, to see us. And if you're watching or listening, please subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. We want to thank the people out there that help keep us on the air. And if anybody would like to contribute, go to spiritmatterstalk.com and You'll see how to do it. Uh, another great guest for the show today, somebody I'm certainly excited about interviewing, Jacob Kyle. Uh, he has his, uh, he's a yoga asana teacher, writer, philosophy, educator, and founder director of Embodied Philosophy, an online educational platform for Eastern philosophies and contemplative practices. And I was just looking, that's a great website. They do great work. Look at it. And, and I'll repeat that. It's, um, you know, um, uh, it, it's, uh, well, we'll have it posted up, Embodied Philosophy. It's, I think it's embodiedphilosophy.com. Uh, Kyle holds uh, two master's degrees uh, in philosophy and an MS in political philosophy from the London School of Economics. Uh, and uh, very excited to have you on the show today. And thank you so much for taking the time, Jacob, to come on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And, and I just want to throw out, Phil's in Los Angeles, I'm in Guthenburg, Sweden, and uh, Jacob's in Provincetown, Massachusetts. So mm -hmm. through the miracle of modern technology, we meet. That's right. At an ungodly hour of the morning for me. For you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's only 8 a.m. No, it's, not. it's not 5 o'clock in the afternoon for me. So, yeah. Uh, Jacob, we usually like to have our guests tell us something about their spiritual history, and yours is an interesting one. So please, it, as briefly as you can, and we can follow up, tell us uh, what got you on your spiritual path and what brought you to the work you've been doing with embodied philosophy. Sure. Uh, well, um, like I imagine many people in the United States, I grew up in a, a Christian church that was I wouldn't say evangelical, but relatively um, conservative, and lost my faith, as it were, uh, in that particular expression of the divine and God when I was about 17 years old, and went into a bit of a, I would say, kind of personal crisis with that. And then when I was in college, found politics, and that became my spirituality uh, for some time. And then around the end of my undergrad, I, I encountered yoga for the, uh, I, I had heard about it um, from several of my friends, but I'd never practiced it myself. Um, and started practicing yoga asana right after um, I graduated from undergrad. And I would say from there, just a kind of process of subtilization and an opening took place. And gradually and over time, I became more introduced to the subtler contemplative teachings of, of yoga and, and also you know, the wider Hindu traditions, Buddhist traditions, and other contemplative traditions, also those from the West. And, uh, but was really more at that early time, just focused on kind of the asana and I was studying Western philosophy. Um, and then, then I think looking back retrospectively or retroactively, I was, uh, looking for a spiritual solution in Western philosophy 
And then when I got to a high level of, of study there, I realized that it didn't exist. <laughs> In the upper echelons of academia, it was um, not the spiritual solution I was seeking. And so I just progressively moved more towards the study of, of Eastern contemplative traditions and found the solution that I was looking for. Um, but I was a bit aimless. I was a bit of a salad bar spiritualist, I would say, for, for a number of years until I met my teacher, Paul, um, who you've also interviewed on this podcast. And I've been studying with him for the, the last six years. He initiated me into Nilakanta meditation. Um, and, and so since that time, I would say my, my, my practice has really shifted from, from being more kind of asana focused and more intellectually focused to more grounded in, in, in an ongoing meditation practice. So that's sort of the abridged version, I would say, of mm -hmm. my spiritual path from like, you know, a conservative Christianity to, to Shiva Shakta Tantra. Mm -hmm. And we should, we, should, we should add that the Paul you refer to is Paul Muller Ortega. That's and right. listeners can find uh, our interview with Paul from a couple of years ago in our archive. Right. And if you go to archives, by the way, uh, you have the option of either just seeing what we've done most recently and uh, have it listed that way and also alphabetically. So it's easy to find. I wanted to ask you, uh, Jacob, I'm curious, um, you, you grew up in the States, but then uh, you, you did get a master's degree at uh, London School of Economics. And I was wondering if um, the shift from the States living in London, living in Europe, uh, if there was an effect on your spirituality at that point or did anything happen spiritually for you uh, when you went overseas or uh, did it not happen until you came back? Mm, well, I mean, I suppose it depends on how you define what a spiritual experience is. And for me, I think- Were, were you my, seeking then? Yes, but my seeking was in the form of uh, continental philosophy. So mm -hmm. to me, I, I think I, I think my my encounter with political theory, my encounter with Marxism, I see that as a spiritual awakening in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. I, I see it as a kind of transition to another um, uh, kind of dimension of consciousness that 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 at least structurally kind of reflects or mirrors other you know uh, transformations of of awareness and 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 spiritual kind of insight. Um, you know, even though it's not written in the area of what we would call contemplative traditions, I think um, political kind of awakenings and realizations can be, can be just as spiritually um, uh, enriching. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I had an interest in, in Hinduism all the way back to my undergraduate days. I, my first kind of book of Hinduism, which I still possess, <laughs> was something I bought when I was a theater student in the early years of, of undergrad um, when I was 18. So I was always a seeker. And like I said, I think I was always looking for God. I just thought God was in the, mo the highest refinement of the intellect. And in a certain sense, I'd say is if you define intellect, you know, which I do <laughs> now as being <clears throat> something more like Tarka, right, rather than, you know, discursive knowledge. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, the, my experience in London, particularly, I think I was very, because it was um, unsettling to be in another country, that, that, taking me outside my own comfort, the comfort of my home soil, I would say was 
it it allowed me to open myself towards ways of thinking about things mm -hmm. and and ways of viewing you know myself and my relationship to the world and my relationship with other people that I think um, was was really important for me at that time. So yeah, it wasn't that my connection to spirituality in, in London was more in the form of yoga asana, I would say, and then my studies of politics. Jacob, uh, tell us about the origins uh, and the uh, aim and purpose of embodiedphilosophy.com. It's a, a really impressive body of courses and workshops that you've assembled there, uh, including one of mine. That's right. <laughs> we have to say, but uh, <laughs> when I discovered it, because I've been on your podcast as well, uh, chit heads, we should uh, say chit meaning having a meaning in the yogic world. Um, I love how I love how you carefully enunciate that. Film. Yes, I had to say it very carefully. <laughs> chit, chit heads with a C, and um, which it's a brilliant title. And um, so when I discovered uh, the website uh, embodiedphilosophy.com, I was I was absolutely blown away by the quality of material there and the people that you've attracted to teach. So tell us what uh, got it off the ground and what the what the purpose of it is. Yeah, so I'm, Embodied Philosophy was born out of my um, uh, passion for the contemplative wisdom that I was encountering and more and studying more deeply and my disappointment in Western philosophy as kind of a spiritual solution, as I was mentioning. So um, embodied philosophy, the, t the term really comes out of my experience of studying philosophy in a disembodied way, in a way that didn't apply to daily life or wasn't um, at least designed to be really integrated, at least in its modern incarnation, Western philosophy, because there's many uh, expressions of it, some of which are spiritual, some of which are not. Um, uh, it, it what the Western philosophy didn't have uh, a way of being integrated such that you know you would would transform in a, in, a, in an interior way. Um, so, but at the same time, I was also uh, feeling like the the yoga philosophy and the Eastern um, uh, contemplative teachings that I was encountering in yoga asana classes were distilled in a particularly kind of shallow way. And I really wanted um, a middle space between what at that time, and of course things have changed quite dramatically since then in terms of online offerings. But at that time, there really, I really felt like there wasn't much of a space for yoga practitioners, asana practitioners who were also just as passionate and interested in studying contemplative teachings in a more rigorous way, um, but not landing so far in the scholarly world that it becomes just this kind of obtuse very highly specialized, um, abstract, you know, articles or 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 research that really has no application to uh, the life of a practitioner. So you know, the, so the the site really is designed to be a site for scholar practitioners, and the the integration and the conversation um, between those two arenas, and also kind of investigating the tensions between them right? Because there are tensions, um, especially in terms of what we would consider the kind of modern academy and its um, guiding principles of objectivity um, that tend to um, serve sometimes as an obstacle to the kind of contemplative openness or experiential um, uh, uh, trajectory of contemplative practice. Mm -hmm. 
uh, uh, Jacob, you, you mentioned you were initiated uh, by Paul about six, six and a half years ago. And uh, that certainly had an effect on uh, your approach to uh, spiritual development, understanding spirituality, and approach to philosophy. Uh, how, how, has, how has since becoming initiated affected you in that way? And what is your daily routine like? How much time do you actually put to practice and how much time to study and how much time to teaching? Yeah, well, um, thank you for that question. Um, well, I would say that, th that my encounter with Paul was an encounter with, first of all, a teacher that I just felt incredibly moved by. And also I felt as if I had recognized him, you know, like from a past life. It was, mm -hmm. it was very much an experience that I'd never had before. And then what was coming out of his mouth, <laughs> as anyone knows who's heard him speak, was so overwhelmingly just mind blowing and heart opening and, and familiar, right? It was just familiar to me. And, and, and so I took up study with him almost immediately. And I would say, besides just recognizing the contemplative worldview um, and trajectory of practice that just resonated with my soul, I also understood what it meant for the first time to find a teacher and to know what that meant. Because before that, I really just, I would say, ah, you don't really need a teacher. And there's this whole problematic, you know, uh, guru culture and, you know, surrendering of one's power to, to these um, authoritarian figures. And then I met someone with a teacher with integrity <laughs> who I find to have you know, a great deal of integrity and that really changed everything. And, and so now I'm, I'm all about you know, the experience of, of, of finding the right teacher. Um, and, and that means you know, different things for everybody, I think. Uh, my practice now is a, a daily, a twice daily meditation practice. Um, and you know, in Shavashakta Tantra, that's a mantra practice mantra meditation. Um, I also uh, practice japa, which is, you know, the repetition more verbally, or at least in the way that I approach it, it's the exter external repetition of mantra um, uh, uh, and not the just internal repetition. Um, and then I, I, I chant litany chants. I, I chant the Sri Rudram pretty regularly, the Ganapati Atarvashirsha Upanishad. And I study Sanskrit um, pretty um, intensively with my teacher, Boris. Mm -hmm. And I consider that a contemplative practice. And it's certainly uh, a very intense and challenging one at that, um, especially at this stage. And, and Boris is really quite a disciplinarian and I appreciate him <laughs> for it. <laughs> uh, he's an interesting guy. Um, and so altogether, you know, you know that I, I would say probably takes up um, you know, at least two hours of my day. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a little less, sometimes that's a little more. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, 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 I'm neglecting to mention asana. I'm realizing I'm not mentioning asana. And I mentioned this actually recently in an interview that I, I don't, I don't look at my asana practice anymore as my yoga practice. I see it as a, as supplemental and certainly a wonderful source of cultivating my nervous system in such a way that my mm -hmm. practice is more fruitful, but I don't, I don't, I don't call my yoga, my asana, I call it my asana practice. And, and again, you know, it is a, it's a part of my body of sadhana, but it's not um, the core tenet mm -hmm. of it anymore as it was, was when I was younger. Phil, Phil a quick follow-up uh, on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, did you, uh, 
seek out Paul uh, because you'd heard of him or uh, did it, uh, was it some cosmic coincidence you collided with him? You know, I, I found him through a book. I read Christopher Harish Wallace's Tantra Illuminated as many mm -hmm. people have, um, which is a great textbook. And at the back of it, he mentions a bunch of teachers and I had already been studying um, Tantra by the time I found that book mm -hmm. and, and had been really, um, you know, aroused in a certain kind of way by it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and, uh, and so then I just looked basically into all of the teachers that were mentioned at the back of that book. And mm -hmm. I found several teachers that I thought were really inspiring, but Paul's, when I went on Paul's website and I listened to one of his talks, um, uh, it was just sort of a no brainer that I would, that I would study with him. That was how mm -hmm. kind of, that was how, um, shifting life-changing it was for me and um so yeah I found him I found him that way and I yeah I mean I think that these things of course are all kind of designed in a certain way um um although it did feel very you know sort of serendipitous at the time uh Jacob earlier you used the word tarka mm -hmm. um I would like you to define it for our listeners and in that context uh let's mention the magazine of that name, Tarka, that uh, you publish. You do a lot of things under the rubric of embodied philosophy. Uh, and given that you have a two hour day sadhana, um, you're a busy guy. And, and among the things that uh, with all the courses and uh, programs that the website hosts, you also have a magazine, a print and online, very hefty periodical called Tarka. Tell us about that and why you started. Yeah. And what absolutely. it means. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, you know, there are different definitions of target. Probably the most uh, kind of commonplace one would be logic. Um, but then there are, there are iterations, you know, like we find in Sanskrit um, in different uh, thinkers and and teachers where the where the 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 meaning of the word is slightly more nuanced and so with in Abhinavagupta's work Tarka is he speaks of it as the highest form of yoga and by that he doesn't mean that you know discursive linear logic is the highest form of yoga he means a kind of embodied discernment right um, uh, uh, a kind of discernment that is not of the um, you know, neck up alone, but is something that's sort of viscerally um, uh, and uh, and embodied in a kind of way. So, so I define it as an embodied discernment that arises through the refinement of knowledge and practice. Um, and that is the you know that's kind of the I think the in the front of the journal. I call it a journal, not a magazine, just because. Uh, I like to think of it as a, as a journal rather than a magazine because I think of magazines as sort of flimsy and full of ads. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been important to me that, that Tarka not have any advertising in it. Um, mm -hmm. But it started um, about, well, I guess three years ago, we started a monthly online journal called Tarka, which was not designed in any way. And I had hired um, Stephanie Crigliano, who is still the managing editor, editor of Tarka to come on board. Um, she's a yoga studies comparative religion PhD. And she um, has come on basically as a, a curator uh, to help me curate content um, uh, for Tarka. So we started it out for about a year and a half as a, as a monthly 
journal. And then we decided to, because I've always envisioned Embodied Philosophy as becoming a publisher at some point, we decided to start publishing it as a print journal. And it really is a very beautiful document. My, my friend and colleague, Ryan Lemaire is the designer and it's absolutely beautiful. And it's meant to be an experiential um, uh, laboratory for scholar practitioners to and devotional leaders that they don't have to be academics. We have a range of writers for Tarka, um, but the idea is to to really explore and um, and integrate the contemplative teachings, um, which obviously in many instances are quite ancient, with contemporary perspectives, social issues. Um, so you know, for example, some of our our titles. Um, we retroactively, after about three um, issues, published, published an in issue zero called um, uh, On the Scholar Practitioner. So that's technically the first issue. Then on Bhakti, on, um, on illusion, on ecology, on death. And then we have one coming out on queer dharma, on spiritual citizenship, and also on Tantra. Um, so, you know, there's a range from, you know, focusing on traditions themselves to more kind of current matters um, like ecology to, you know, life themes like death um, and illusion and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, and we're always looking for new uh, writers. I should just say that too. I'm, you have a sophisticated audience, I know, and, and we're always looking for a, a larger team of, of scholar practitioners and, and writers um, uh, with uh, perspectives <laughs> to share, to uh, to contribute to the journal. And um, so if that's Is of interest to anyone. Is there some place where people could see what you're looking for or what upcoming issues are? So someone like me could say, oh, I, could, I have something in mind. I could write right. for that issue. Yeah. So embodiedphilosophy.com forward slash Tarka is the landing page for the journal. Um, but there's also, and to what degree, right now I think we don't have upcoming topics on that page. We have it on our submissions page and you can find the submissions link at the bottom of the, of the website if you scroll all the way down to the footer. We'll, we'll have all that posted up. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, J Jacob, uh, you studied political philosophy at London School of Economics and obviously had uh, an interest in politics and, and, and how political philosophy might influence people. I was at the Kennedy School for a while and uh, mm -hmm. had similar interests. And then you've, I'm, I'm gonna use the word evolved into uh, more philosophical interests, uh, more spiritual interests. Uh, or right now in the world, as we see it in, in the United States and worldwide, there's a lot more attention being given to politics than to philosophy, a lot more attention being given to politicians than to spiritual uh, teachers. Uh, uh, what is your hope for humanity? Do you, do you think we, uh, we as homo sapiens will move forward and things uh, will improve and get better? Or uh, because I, I've moved from um, being, uh, you know, wide-eyed, in, inspired in, 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 in my college years and, and, uh, and have tried to maintain that, but I found it to be more difficult. I'd be curious to see what your feeling is about that. Well, that's what's really, it's it, what's interesting about that, I think. And um, let me know if I'm breaking up because it says my internet no, connections. No, we hear you really clearly, yeah. I do okay, anyway. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you two especially were, you know, kind of forged in the the spiritual environment of the 60s, right? right. Which, you know, from my <laughs> limited knowledge, I wasn't there. But <laughs> um, I, from my understanding, it was a, a time of great optimism. And, and I think that we are in a kind of equally political moment, but there's a great deal of pessimism. Right. And I think that that pessimism is born out of a kind of highly agitated nervous system, right? That has been um, uh, cultivated by, you know, late stage capitalism. And, and so we're all in this hyper vigilant state um, and our nervous systems are just completely hijacked by that. And so my hope, of course, with embodied philosophy and, and with other platforms like it is to disseminate at the very least a contemplative practice that would um, help to reshape and soften um, uh, and, and clarify uh, the nervous systems of, of human beings such that they could then begin to interact with each other from a, a place of less, um, uh, you know, anger, agitation, uh, hypervigilance, and um, and divisiveness. And to me, that's really the kind of saddest um, mm -hmm. um, picture of things. Is really that we have we have sort of almost devolved into this tribalistic mentality of us and them. And this exists on both sides. You know, I mean, I consider myself very much uh, of the left, um, but sometimes I don't recognize the left <laughs> in the way that I was really inspired by it in, in, in my own initial uh, political study. Um, and I think that one of the things that we've lost is really a sense of solidarity around um, mm -hmm. a vision of the future that, um, that we can build and manifest together. We're really in um, a, a state of of destruction and deconstruction and of tearing things down, um, and and I think that that you know habit of tearing things down, coupled with our um, less than healthy nervous systems, is just creating this perfect storm of right. of vitriol and right. and ugliness. And so my you know I I think. Right, if we zoom out and look at things from the perspective of the yugas, <laughs> we're mm -hmm. in some as you know, we're in some you know degree or expression of the Kali Yuga, and will it will it go you know completely into the gutter, never to return to some um, uh, more uh, contemplative place? I you know I don't know, <laughs> but I I certainly hope so. I I think that there's a rock bottom that we right. have to hit. Um, in order for people collectively in on mass to wake up and and I don't know that we're there yet uh, and it might get worse before it gets better not to be a pessimist but um, but in the meantime I think you know the the orbit that we do have um, autonomy over is our own is our own energy body and and the way in which refining that can have an impact on the people around us, on our communities, and and sharing um, the the fruits of practice, sharing the perspectives of of contemplative traditions. In in my view, is 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 really the the way to go. And and I think there's also just things to be done in our educational system. I would love to see philosophy and critical thinking thought. 
uh, are taught in grade school, for example. Right. I mean, there's so much reform <laughs> that you could just, you know, talk about, not mm -hmm. just talking about contemplative teachings, you could talk about reform of education and, and government mm -hmm. and all of that. There's so much to do. Um, it's, it's sometimes uh, hard to know where to start. Yeah. But I just want to say well, uh, that it was very well articulated and I think would make a great article or series of articles. And I think it's a very, I mean, there's a lot of interest and uh, I think it would stir some optimism. One of the things you've done is uh, start uh, an initiative uh, around spiritual citizenship. And you recently held a, what was it, four-day conference. Um, tell us about that, what you mean by spiritual citizenship, what the hope for it is, and what uh, people will find if they fi uh, track the, <laughs> the archive of the conference. Yes, well, thank you for mentioning the archive because I will just preface by saying that it is, uh, you can find it on demand in EPTV, which is available with a, a premium membership at Embodied Philosophy. Um, all of the videos are there. It was initially a free conference and then, and then now it's um, on demand as, uh, as a part of the membership. Spiritual citizenship is something that I've been wanting to, to do um, as a offering for some time. And, and really, you know, from one perspective, just to go back to my own history, I, I feel that my spiritual practice has always felt like a continuation of the work I was doing politically, in the sense that, you know, I was captivated by politics through theory. And I found theory and the transformation of one's perspective on you know what is going on as to be really transformative and and in some sense spiritual and so the transformation of awareness through spiritual practice is in my view a political act and um, so you know I kind of start for me personally from that foundation um, uh, but the notion of of spiritual citizenship which actually it turns out um, ended up being a term that, some people in the conference, you know, found great and some found it problematic. And that was an interesting result of the conference itself was just to see through the, you know, talks themselves and the conversations, you know, how these words invoke certain ideas. So citizenship, for example, and, and this is something I learned as, you know, just through the conference itself invokes the idea of an excluded alien, right? Because we have this idea of the citizens and those who are not citizens. Mm -hmm. So there was, a, there was a, um, a consideration that perhaps the conference would have been better titled on spiritual activism. Uh, and, and, and certainly it could just as easily have been um, titled that. Um, but still the, the, the conference was multifaceted. We approached a number of different topics. We started out, it was six days long, and we each day had several talks, um, often an interview, um, then a panel discussion and a workshop. And the first day, I believe we talked about the concept of um, spiritual citizenship or what it means to be a spiritually informed citizen. I kind of like that term a little bit, a little bit better. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, how does, we have these political perspectives, right? We have these um, popular pervasive political ideologies, but if we take the contemplative traditions at their word, if we really incorporate the teachings, then how does that uh, inform 
our perspective on these ideologies. Does it reshape them? Does it, does it um, enrich them? Does it integrate um, uh, comfortably with them or is there a tension there? That to me is a, a kind of important ongoing question. And I, I do think that in some sense, a lot of um, uh, what's happening and kind of, especially the kind of yoga community is that there's a kind of complete shirking of the spiritual teachings in favor of a certain ideology of, of kind of progressive politics. And, and there isn't enough of a, of a conversation between these two things uh, such that we can see the blind spots of, of you know, uh, theoretically either side. Can I interrupt this? Do you find sure. the shirking go both ways? That there's a shirking of the spiritual among politically active people and a shirking of political engagement in certain in spiritual circles. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, I think that the renunciant, you know, the renunciatory impulse is quite intense to leave this, you know, meat tube of piss and shit behind and and get to the absolute, right? To get to that oceanic mm -hmm. state beyond the mess of reality itself. <laughs> Um, so I think absolutely on both sides, we see that shirking, that mutual sort of shirking of, of the other. And that is exactly uh, what you're, I see you suggesting is the, the conference was meant to really, um, to problematize that for both sides. Um, so just to kind of finish off, wrap up what I was mentioning about the topics, the the focus on spiritual citizenship as a concept. Then we looked at the concept of spiritual activism. Then we looked at issues around ecology and contemplative top uh, approaches to that. We looked at um, uh, racial healing um, and we also looked at and social justice. And then we also looked at uh, um, uh, the, the, the issues surrounding globalization and cultural appropriation. And then we landed on, um, our final day was looking at LGBTQ uh, issues and, and this idea of queer dharma, which is actually something that I mentioned we're publishing soon in Tarka. Great. So a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different, uh, and there were, you know, 30 some talks altogether. So there was a lot of variability, a lot of diversity in the conference, and it was beautiful uh, in that way. Independent of the conference and, and the notion of spiritual citizenship, um, do you see progress in the integration? Are, are people in spiritual circles and yoga circles uh, becoming more politically engaged or at least aware of what's going on and, and willing to entertain the messiness of it? Uh, is there progress in that regard? Because this is something, I mean, I have to say, I was engaged in some similar enterprise, but it was at least 15 years ago. And we even used the term spiritual citizenship and it just died. And I'm hoping now the atmosphere is more conducive and, and <laughs> people like you know how to make it happen, whereas we didn't. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that it was, I think that the conference, which had a, had a, you know, it had a great turnout. It wasn't, you know, for example, as, as, as well attended as our trauma conference, which is also a very popular topic in the moment. Um, um, and, but I think that had to do a little bit with, you know, the timing happening when it was the summer, people were feeling like COVID was over and there was a lot of, a, and I think people were just, you know, tired of 
drama and wanted to celebrate. And, you know, if there's been anything that's happened over the last two years, it's been a lot of drama, certainly important drama and, and an opportunity to really look at ourselves in the mirror um, on so many levels. Um, and, and I, and I think, you know, there's definitely was a peak in, in the activity and the, and the willingness of spiritual communities to really, um, take stock, um, particularly of inclusion, uh, and, and issues of, of, of privilege and, and diversity within contemplative communities. That certainly is, is, has really flipped. And a lot mm -hmm. of, I think communities are doing really excellent work at just, like you know, noticing what's there finally, and and mm -hmm. and noticing the historical exclusion of marginalized groups, and 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 how important it is to to um, reconcile ourselves with you know uh, the the reality of white dominant culture and 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 the harm and 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 pain that that is and trauma that that has caused um, for a really long time, and and you know I think that wellness and meditation and and yoga communities are getting are getting much more comfortable but with being uncomfortable in these kinds of conversations and looking at how we can uh, you know preserve the integrity of our contemplative practices uh, while integrating these important um, political perspectives very 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 important <clears throat> and I want to say that um, these are these topics that you bring up and I think it's more than one topic it can be broken into several topics. Uh, uh, Phil and I have tried to cover in our interviews, but we would uh, very much appreciate any recommendations you might have about other folk. We'd like love to have you back on, uh, but other folks you might uh, uh, recommend that we have that can address these issues mm. uh, uh, that uh, aren't always uh, as addressed as they should be uh, in yeah. spiritual communities and amongst those people who, who, uh, who listen to our program. Phil, any final questions? Or no, I know we've run out of time. I, I and I, we'll have to have you back, Jacob, because a lot, a lot that uh, uh, we haven't talked about. Uh, maybe when we see, you know, some upcoming uh, Tarka issues or some some of the offerings online, we'll have you back and talk specifically about that. You've you've just mentioned a few that I, I wanted to follow up on, but we right. we've, we've and, and to our listeners and viewers. Tarka, all of this will be posted up where you can yeah. get, uh, find out more information. And uh, if uh, Jacob agrees, and I think we could convince him to come back on sometime, <laughs> maybe even soon to do a part two. And and because uh, there's so much more that we could uh, uh, and would love to get into. And and again, listeners, go to embodiedphilosophy.com, spend a little time uh, fooling around, clicking on things, you'll find a, a tremendous amount of uh, good stuff. Uh, highly recommended. Jacob, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for being with us. Any final message for our listeners? Um, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. It's obviously a huge honor. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time and it's wonderful to be in such esteemed company and I really appreciate the opportunity and um, thank you to all the listeners. Very good. Till next time. Thanks. Till next time. Thank you so much.